Welcome to the Old Time Radio Hour on Sid Valley Radio. This is Sid Valley Radio. This week on the Old Time Radio Hour, we'll be listening to a half hour of mystery, followed by a 30-minute adventure drama. So, just sit back and relax as we revisit the truly golden age of radio. Mysterious Traveler. This is the Mysterious Traveler, inviting you to join me on another journey into the realm of the strange and terrifying. I hope you will enjoy this little trip that it will thrill you a little and chill you a little. So settle back, get a good grip on your nerves. But where are we going? We're going to delve into the life of a frightened man in a tale titled The Queen of the Cats. Some years ago, when I was practicing medicine, I was called upon by a young girl of 22 or so. As she was shown into my office, I could see that she was having a, a difficult time suppressing her agitation. Her lips trembled as she spoke. Dr. Smith, my name is Jane Elliott. I have an appointment with you. Yes, Miss Elliott. Uh, won't you be seated, please? Thank you. Now, it seems to be the trouble, Miss Elliott. You're trembling You don't look well at all. I'm not ill, Doctor. It's Chris. Chris Arnold, my fiancé. Oh, Doctor, you've got to help him. If you don't, something terrible will happen. Well, I'll do everything I can, Miss Elliot. Now, tell me what's wrong. I... Well, I don't know what's wrong. All I know is that Chris is frightened. He's in deadly fear of something. Has he told you... uh... What it is that frightens him? No. No, I've questioned him countless times, but he refuses to tell me. I see. Where is your fiancé now? At his home, Brookfield Manor. Oh, doctor, I, I, I know it's late, but won't you come with me and see Chris? He needs help desperately. There, there, Miss Elliot. You mustn't cry. Of course I'll come with you. And I'll do what I can. Just a minute. Jane, I've, I've asked you before not to... Who, who's he? Darling, this is Dr. Smith. Doctor, this is my fiancé, Chris Arnold. How do you do, Mr. Arnold? Why the devil did you bring him? I don't need a doctor. Please, darling, I, I just couldn't stand Forgive to me, see... Forgive me, Mr. You. Arnold, but it's obvious to the most untrained eye you do need a doctor. Please, Chris... Tell the doctor what you're afraid of. I'm not afraid of anything. Oh, darling, please tell him. Please. You can't go on this way. Yes. Yes, you're right. I can't go on this way. If I don't tell someone, I'll go mad. Believe me, Mr. Arnold, you'll feel much better once you've talked your fears out. Now, um, suppose you start from the beginning and tell me everything. All right, doctor. Come on in. I, I suppose it all began... Two years ago, at a party Jane and I were invited to. 
such a wonderful party. The only thing wonderful about it is you. <laughs> oh, Chris, don't. People are watching. Oh, a fine thing when a man can't kiss his best girl in public. What's his generation coming to, anyway? At Miss Tyndall's school, we were taught a young lady never kisses a man in public. <laughs> Miss Tyndall is setting romance back 50 years. Who are you looking for, anyway? Rana Farouk, my roommate at Miss Tyndall's. Oh, oh yes, yeah, she's, she's the Egyptian girl you were telling me about. Yes, I want you to meet her. Only you better not fall in love with her as every other man does. Mm. Sounds as though she's a second Cleopatra. Men just can't seem to be able to resist her. Hmm. Well, I'm curious to see this siren of the Nile. Oh, there she is, Chris. Come on. So that's Rana. No wonder men can't resist her. Hello, Jane. I've missed you. Rana, this is Chris Arnold. Chris, this is Rana Farouk. Hello, Chris. Hello, Rana. Oh, look, there's Miss Tyndall waving to me. Excuse me, won't you? Of course, Jane. I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> you know, Chris, that Miss Tyndall is the first thing I'd see in the morning when I got up. And the last thing before I went to bed was your picture. And I always knew that someday we should meet. And now we have. Why are you staring at me like that? Aren't you going to say anything? I prefer just to look. Even now, Doctor, two years after our first meeting, I find it difficult to describe how beautiful Rana was. She had lustrous black hair that came down to her shoulders and sparkling green eyes that bewitched you. No words can do her beauty justice. I was captivated the moment I saw her. I see. What happened after that first meeting? Rana seemed also attracted to me. After that night, we saw each other constantly. You did? Nothing seemed to matter to me when I was with her. And it made me indescribably happy to learn she felt the same way. A month after we'd met, we were married. Mm. Please go on, Mr. Arnold. After we were married, we took an apartment in town. In the months that followed, I began to see Rana not as the image I'd been infatuated with, but as she really was, vain, selfish, and possessive. It was a possessiveness verging on madness. She couldn't bear to have me out of her sight, and when I was upon my return, there would be questions, countless questions. I began to dread seeing her. And then... Then there were the cats. The cats? Yes. She had an insane passion for them. Yes, when Rana and I were at school together, Doctor, she always had a few cats around. She said that she couldn't live without them. The apartment them. was always full of cats. She'd sit for hours stroking them, whispering to them until I felt I'd go mad. Life became a nightmare for me, a nightmare full of cats. And Rana asking questions, endless questions. One day, I realized I couldn't go on living with her any longer. That our marriage had been a mistake. I decided to tell her about it that very evening. May I come in, Rana? Of course, dear. Rana, there's, there's something important I want to talk to you about. Oh, please, Chris. There's so little time just now. We can talk later after the party. But, Rana, this is important. I think that... Darling, whatever you have to say can wait. Now, please hurry. But, but... Well, well, all right. We'll discuss what I have to say later. Chris, 
when I called you at the office this afternoon, why didn't you tell me that you had had lunch with Mary Walker? What? How did you know I had lunch with her? Oh, a friend told me. A friend? Who was it? What is it, my beauty? What are you trying to say? Rana, put that cat down and answer me. Who was the friend that told you I had lunch with Mary Walker? You have never met her, darling. How is it that you always know what I've been doing, whom I've been seeing? It's as though you have people spying on me. Chris, what a thing to say. Now, please hurry or we'll be late. There's something strange about the way you always know what I've been doing. Sometimes I suspect... Chris, look out. You stepped on Sabina's tail. I'm sorry, but I didn't see it. I've asked you before to be more careful. Poor Sabina. Are you all right now, my beauty? If there weren't so many cats underfoot, I wouldn't have stepped on her. Why must you have five cats around? Because I love cats. They're beautiful, sacred. Thousands of years ago, my ancestors worshipped cats. And the great cat goddess Sekonit. On the river Nile, close by the ancient city of Hamadi, where I was born, are the graves of a hundred thousand sacred cats. They have been mummified and buried with reverence. Uh, Rana, I can't go on like this anymore. My darling, what do you mean? I feel our marriage was a mistake. I want a divorce. Chris, you can't be serious. But I am. I love you, Chris, and I won't give you up. You're mine, darling. You always will be. Nothing shall ever separate us. Would you care for a cocktail, sir? Uh, no, no, thank you. Well, even if you won't have one, Mr. Arnold, I will. Jane, Jane, <laughs> it's good to see you again. Just let me look at you. Chris, you're... you're not looking well at all. Are you all right? I am now. Jane, Jane, can't we go someplace and talk? What about the terrace? All right, Chris. Here, this door opens onto it. This is much better. It's been quite some time since we've seen each other, hasn't it? Yes, the last time we saw each other was the night that... The night that I met Rana. Yes. How is Rana, Chris? Oh, she's... she's fine. We... Jane, I've made such a mess out of everything. I was a fool to have married her. Please, Chris, you mustn't talk like that. But I was a fool, Jane. Mistaking infatuation for love. Can you ever forgive me for the way I behaved toward you? There's, there's nothing to forgive, Chris. Well, Jane, this is a surprise. Rana. Hello, Rana. Really, Jane, the way you've avoided calling on us, I half suspect you are still in love with Chris. Rana, you have no right to talk to her like that. Uh, please, Chris, I, I'm i afraid I'll have to be leaving. It's getting quite late. Good night. Good night, Jane. I hope I didn't interrupt anything by coming out here so unexpectedly, Chris. Yes, Rana, you did. I was about to tell Jane that I love her and that I always will. I suppose that's why you asked me for a divorce. You've been secretly seeing her. Secretly seeing her? Is it possible for me to see anyone or do anything secretly without your knowing about it? No, you are quite right. It is not possible. I know everything you do. So I would forget Jane if I were you. Uh, Rana, how can you possibly want me? Knowing how I feel about Jane, you've got to give me a divorce. I'll never give you a divorce. Never. Do you hear? You're mine. You always will be. Yes, well, what's to prevent me from leaving you? 
Wherever you go, Chris, I'll follow. If I can't have you, no one else ever will. Remember, Chris, you're mine. You always will be. I can still see her, Doctor. As she stood there screaming at me. Remember, Chris, you're mine and you always will be. It was a, a shock to suddenly realize that she looked like a cat, an angry cat. Her green eyes, cold and murderous. Her long nails digging into my arms. Her body tense. For a moment, I, I thought she was going to scratch my eyes out. Yes, Rana did look like that when she was in a rage. Hmm. What happened after that night, Mr. Arnold? I stopped speaking to Rana. We lived in the same apartment, but that was all. Weeks passed, and Rana waited for me to come around as she felt certain I would. Yes. She had all the patience of a cat playing with a mouse. But when a month had passed and I still refused to talk to her, she made an attempt to win me back. It happened one night as we were driving to this house. Why are you slowing down, Rana? I want to talk to you, Chris, and I can't talk to you while I'm driving. There's no point in your stopping. We have nothing to say to each other. Oh, but we do, darling. Chris, we could be so happy together if you wanted to. You know how much I love you. It's a possessive love that smothers me to death. Chris, you know that isn't true. I could make you happy if you don't let me. Oh, please don't turn away from me, Chris. I'll do anything to make you happy. Anything. Anything? And you can give me a divorce. So you're still thinking of her, hoping I'll give you a divorce so you can marry her. Well, I won't. You're here, I won't. I think we'd better be moving along. Chris, you haven't any right to treat me like this. I'm your wife. Only in the eyes of the law, not in my eyes. I hate you. I hate you! You can't! You almost took out my eyes with those claws of yours. I will scratch your eyes out before I let any other woman have you. You're mine. You always will be. Perhaps this will bring you to your senses. <laughs> Slide over. I'll drive. Very well, Chris. You think you've beaten me, Chris. But you haven't. In the end, you'll come crawling to me. It may take a year, two years, five years. Wait. I'll never come crawling to you. Never. But you will, Chris. Jane knows I'll never give you your freedom. In time, she'll marry. And when she does, all the heart will be gone out of you. Then you'll be mine. That'll never happen. But it will, Chris. And deep down in your heart, you know I'm right. Jane will never be yours. I'll see to that. You have everything planned perfectly, Rana, don't you? But I have one way of escape from you that you've never thought of. Really? And what way is that? I can escape through death. Death? Yes, Rana. If I should fail to take the curve a hundred yards ahead, we'd plunge off the side of this mountain. Chris, you would. Why not, Rana? You've shown me there's nothing to live for. This at least <gasps> is a clean way out. No! Chris, don't! No! I drove the car over the side of the mountain, Doctor. I thought Rana and I were going to our deaths. But fate decreed otherwise. When I recovered consciousness 48 hours later in a hospital, I learned it was only Rana who died. 
Yes, I recall reading about it in the papers. It was a miracle that you survived. Yes. For weeks, they despaired of saving me. But at the end of eight months, I walked out of that hospital. The police believed my story that it was an accident. And I was free to begin a new life. It was just a week after I was discharged from the hospital that I ran into Jane. Chris! Oh, Chris, it's you. Danny, you always seem to pop up just when I need you most. Chris, you... you look so much older. Are you all right? Well, my heart isn't any too good, but otherwise I'm fine. And seeing you again is just what I need to put me on my feet. These past months must have been so difficult for you. Uh, I don't want to look back to the past, Jane. But only to the future. The future I once hoped we'd share. And still do. Two months ago, Doctor, Jane and I became engaged. It was just about that time that I first began to notice that everywhere I went, there always seemed to be a cat following me. Are you sure you weren't imagining it, Mr. Arnold? At first, I thought it was my imagination. But a week after Jane and I became engaged, I was certain I was being followed. Yeah. Uh, tell me, Mr. Arnold, was it always the same cat that followed you? No, no, no. One day it'd be one cat, and another, another day a different one. Oh, I, I know you must think I'm mad, Doctor. And at the time, I felt I was going mad. That is, until that night. What night, Mr. Arnold? The night I saw her happened in this very room six weeks ago. I, I I had great difficulty in falling asleep that night. Suddenly, the silence was broken by the faint crying of a cat. The crying grew louder and louder. I lay in the darkness listening, realizing that the cat crying was real, living, and in my room. I could feel my heart pounding as I sat up in bed. I looked about my darkened room, and then suddenly I saw her. Two burning green eyes in the darkness. There was no mistaking those eyes. They were runners. I stared into those eyes for what seemed like hours. Then, as though listening to a stranger's voice, I heard myself speak. Rana. It is you, Rana, isn't it? Yes. I'd recognize those green eyes anywhere. So you've come back and in the form I've always thought of you, as a cat. I know why you've come back. It's because of Jane. You always said that if you couldn't have me, no one else could. But I was yours and always would be. Well, you're wrong, you hear? Jane and I are going to be married. You came between us once, but you aren't going to this time. I will marry you, and there's nothing you can do to stop me. You fiend, trying to scratch my eyes out. Well, we'll see about that. Uh, there. Perhaps that'll show you that nothing you can do will stop me from marrying her. I know that all those cats that were following me, spying on me, were doing so under your orders. You, you're the queen of the cats. Uh, yes, I should have known. No wonder you always knew where I'd been, who I'd seen. You had your cats spying on me even then. Well, even if you are the queen of the cats, you can't prevent me from marrying Jane. That's a bullet between those green eyes of yours is what's needed. (laughs) 
emptied the gun at her, Doctor, and then turned on the lights. There was no sign of her. She'd vanished. All that I found were those six bullet holes in the wall. Tell me, Mr. Arnold, isn't it possible that you only dreamed all that? That actually you fired the gun in your sleep and the shots themselves wakened you? I tried to tell myself that, Doctor. But during the nights that followed, I, I knew it was not a dream. For night after night, she appeared in my room. I'd lie awake, waiting to hear her footsteps, her voice. And when she would appear, I'd plead with her to leave me alone. But she'd only stare at me with those burning green eyes, waiting, waiting. I knew she'd never leave me alone as long as I intended to marry Jane. Finally, I could stand it no longer, and I went to see Jane. Chris, this is a surprise. Come in, darling. Thank you, Jane. Oh, well, where have you been keeping yourself this past week? I was beginning to believe I was being jilted. Jane, there's something I want to ask you. Yes, Chris, of course. What is it? I know we set our wedding for next week. But couldn't we put it off for a while? Just a little while. Darling, what is it? There's something wrong. I, I, I know there is. Please tell me. I wish I could, but I can't. Oh, please, Jane, just have faith in me. You know, I, I wouldn't postpone our marriage if I could possibly help it. All right, Chris, I, I do have faith in you. We'll consider our marriage postponed for the time being. The night I put off my marriage to Jane, Doctor, was the first night that Rana didn't appear. And the first night in a week that I'd been able to sleep. You think, Mr. Arnold, that she didn't appear again because you would postpone your marriage to Jane? I know it. Weeks went by, weeks in which I was able to sleep soundly without being awakened by her. And I came to think that perhaps it had all been part of a horrible nightmare and that I was over it at last. A week ago, I asked Jane to set the date for our wedding. She did so. And that same day, we took out a marriage license. But that night, she appeared again. Her eyes shining in the dark, cold and murderous. She knew about the license. That's why she returned. And you've seen her again? Yes, yes, every night. She just keeps staring at me with those green eyes, waiting, waiting. She's determined not to give me any rest. I tell myself that I, I mustn't be afraid, but I, I keep hearing her voice over and over. If I can't have you, no one else will. You're mine and you always will be. Oh, Chris, darling, I wish I had known all this before. You feel, Mr. Arnold, that... Somehow she'll prevent you from marrying Jane, huh? I, I know I sound mad, but I do. I have a feeling something horrible will happen if I attempt to marry her. Do you still have the marriage license? Yes. Why do you ask? Mr. Arnold, you've reached a crisis in your life. You're faced with fears that are threatening to overwhelm your sanity. The only way for you to challenge your fears is to go through with your marriage to Jane now, tonight. Tonight? Yes. It's quite late, but I'm sure a friend of mine who's a judge will marry you. Uh, get married t tonight? If you hesitate, you're lost. Your only chance is to face your fears. All right, Doctor. All right. Jane, will you marry me tonight? Oh, yes, Chris. Yes. <laughs>
sorry to get you up in the middle of the night, Judge, but for reasons I can't explain, it's important that these two be married tonight. That's quite all right, Doc. Always glad to oblige a friend. Have you got the license and the ring, young man? Uh, uh, yes, sir. Here's the license and the ring. Now, young man, if you'll take her right hand. That's it. Now, shall I give you the long ceremony or the short one? The short one, please. Just as you say, young lady. This is the shortest one I've got. Do you, Jane Elliott, take this man to be your lawful wedded husband, to love, honor, and obey as long as ye both shall live? I do. Do you, Christopher Arnold, take this woman to be your lawful wedded wife, to love, honor, and cherish as long as ye both shall live? <laughs> it's she. It's Rana. Chris, please, it's only a black cat. You mustn't pay any attention to it. Of course not. Now, it's, it's Rana, I tell you. Look at her eyes. I told you she was trying to prevent my marrying Jane. Well, I'll get rid of her once and for all. Chris, what are you doing with that gun? Put it down. Ah, she got away. Well, whatever she's gone, I'll find her and kill her. Chris, Chris, come back. Oh, Doctor, where can he be? Now, Jane, he can't be far off. We'll find him. Listen. Doctor, that must be Chris firing that gun. Come on. Those shots came from close by. Hurry! Hurry! We we better take it easy now, Doc. It's pretty dark out here. Wait a moment now. Light my cigarette lighter. Doc! Look, a dead cat! Yes. We shot through the head. Say, look. There's another one that's been shot to death. Neither one of them is the, the black cat. Say, Doc... Isn't that a body over there? Chris! No, Jane, you stay with the judge while I look. All right, Doctor. There, there, miss. You, you mustn't cry. This never would have happened if, if I hadn't agreed to bury him. He was afraid. So afraid. Doc! Is it Arnold? Yes. Yes, it's he. He's dead, isn't he? I can see it in your face. Yes, Jen. He's dead. But, Doc, what happened to him? He's been clawed to bits, as if by hundreds of cats. <gasps> and most horrible of all, his eyes have been scratched out. <laughs> This is the mysterious traveler again. Have you enjoyed our little trip into the life, or should I say, death of a frightened man? Strangely enough, two days later, at Chris Arnold's funeral, just as the coffin was being lowered into the grave, the mourners suddenly noticed a black cat with green eyes. Sitting on the edge of the grave, quietly licking its paws. Now, by the way, I, I trust you haven't a cat in your home, particularly a black one. I, I, uh, I once knew a woman, uh, she's dead now, who had a... Uh, you're getting off at the next stop, huh? I'm sorry. <laughs> Perhaps you'll join me again soon. 
I take this same train every week at the same time. You have just heard Chapter 31 of The Mysterious Traveler, a series of dramas of the strange and terrifying. In today's story, Queen of the Cats, Stotts Cotsworth played Chris, Sarah Burton played Rana, and Sandra Gould played Jane. The Mysterious Traveler is written by Bob Arthur and David Cogan, and original music was played by Doc Whipple. The entire production was under the direction of Jock McGregor. You're listening to the Old Time Radio Hour on Sid Valley Radio. Are you willing to undertake a dangerous mission behind the enemy lines, knowing you may never return alive? What you have just heard is the question asked during the war to agents of the OSS, ordinary citizens who to this question answered, yes. This is Cloak and Dagger. Black Warfare, Espionage, International Intrigue. These are the weapons of the OSS. Tonight's story, Seeds of Doubt, concerning an OSS agent who tracked down Nazis in American uniforms, is suggested by actual incidents recorded in the Washington files of the Office of Strategic Services. A story that can now be told. I'm glad I wasn't there when Celeste got my message. If I had been, I might have called the whole deal off, found some other way to carry out my mission. What I did was pretty brutal. I know just how it must have been. I gave the note to the baker's delivery boy, Henri. He must have driven the dilapidated old truck through those majestic iron gates of the Chateau Breton, 12 miles south of Paris. Circled the huge house and come to a stop at the servants' entrance. And perhaps it was Muriel herself, Celeste's personal maid, who answered the door. Pour mademoiselle. Merci, monsieur. Pour vous, monsieur. Ah, merci, madame. And then Muriel began that long climb up to Celeste's room. Three flights of marble stairs and then down the carpeted corridor to the fourth door on the right-hand side. Mademoiselle? Entrez. Entrez, Marielle. Celeste was probably reading. She always was in those days. It was a way of passing time while she waited for some word from my friend, Paul Blanchard. A message, Mademoiselle. A message? From who, Marielle? I do not know. It was all so mysterious. A baker's truck was at the door, and the boy no, gave... No, 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 never mind. Give it to me. Voila, mademoiselle. Oh, oh that handwriting. Mademoiselle, it is not... not fun. No, 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 no. Great. Oh, mon Dieu. But then... then it is... It's ça. It is Paul. Oh. My Paul, he is here in Paris. He is waiting for me in the cafe in Montparnasse. Oh, le bon Dieu. I was afraid he was dead. 
That's how it must have been. And all the while, I sat in a dingy little room in the back of the Café de Trois-Shaw, drinking cognac, feeling like a dog, waiting. I waited about an hour, and then... Paul! Oh, Paul! Oh, Mademoiselle Breton? Oh, you are not Paul? No. Where is he? Uh, Mademoiselle, I was a friend of Paul Blanchard. But where is he? Where is Paul? Uh, Mademoiselle... Uh... Answer me. Very well. Paul is dead. Like I say, it was brutal. But is there any way of saying it that isn't brutal? She tottered toward the table and then slumped into a chair. Dead. Her face was deathly white. And yet it was still the loveliest face I'd ever seen. But this note, it is Paul's handwriting. Well, a forgery, mademoiselle. The OSS is well equipped to forge any man's handwriting. The OSS? Oh, I begin to understand. You are a... Lieutenant Martin Ingalls, morale office, OSS. And you deliberately told... That's right. I had to see you, but I... I couldn't come to the chateau. And I knew you wouldn't ignore a note like that. I see. I will hate you for this, Lieutenant. As long as That'll I... That'll be rather awkward, considering our future relationship. We shall have no future relationship. You and I. I think we will. I've come to Paris to take Paul's place. Take his place? Yes, as your fiancé. At first, that is. And then, later as your husband. She sat down again, slowly, and listened in stony silence as I told her how I'd met her fiancé in North Africa. I told her how he'd described me, and then how he described their swift, frenzied courtship in Geneva just before Paul joined the Free French Forces. Then I told her how he died. Paul... Loved France. Yes. And he told me once that you loved her, too. And that's why I'm sure you won't refuse to make your own sacrifice for her. And that is what, monsieur? Allowing me to pose as Paul. Letting everyone think I'm the man you met in Switzerland. How do you know you could pose as Paul? That someone who might not recognize you. The OSS has made sure that it will be perfectly safe. You see, Paul's father was a government official in Madagascar for 20 years before the war. Paul visited France only once, and that was the age of eight. And from that age until he met you in Switzerland, he hadn't set foot in Europe. So you see, no one would know the difference. I would know it. Of course. That would be your sacrifice. And how would France benefit by my suffering? I couldn't blame her for putting it like that, but I wasn't exactly flattered. I tried to explain my mission. D-Day was six months behind us and most of France had been liberated. But now there was Bastogne, the Battle of the Bulge, von Rundstedt's big offensive, and black warfare is a game two can play. Morale, or the lack of it, can help decide a war. The OSS knew that. And so did the Nazis. 
And that's why there are German agents floating around Paris, doing their best to plant seeds of doubt and, and to destroy allied morale. Nazis here in Paris? But how is it they are not caught? Well, that's my job. It's not going to be easy because most of them are in GI uniforms. Ah, impossible. Why? We send agents behind German lines. They send them behind ours. Black warfare was Hitler's first great weapon. Why do you think Poland, the Low Countries, yes, even France collapsed so fast in 1940? Because the Nazis had agents behind the lines. Fifth columnists doing the same thing then that they're doing now. But that was in 1940. The war isn't over yet, mademoiselle. Far from it. And the longer these Nazi agents operate in Paris, the longer the war is going to last. Now, that's why it's important that the OSS smoke them out and fast. But I... I do not see why... why it should be necessary for you to... To become your husband? Well, because then I'd be the master of Chateau Breton. And what could be more natural for a wealthy Frenchman and his wife out of... out of gratitude to the Americans than... than to throw open their home to lonely G.I.s in Paris? Oh. You mean parties, you? mademoiselle, cocktail parties, dinners, dances, whatever might attract the GIs. And the German agents, n'est-ce pas? Right. It's at affairs like that that they do their work. They, they spread rumors and lies, stir up dissension. And it wouldn't take me long to spot them. It is a very clever scheme, Lieutenant. There is only one thing wrong with it. I do not care to be your wife. It would be a strictly impersonal arrangement. And just as soon as my job is done... No. It is out of the question. Very well, mademoiselle. I'm sorry Paul was wrong. Wrong? About you. That was another dirty trick, playing on her memory of Paul. Her love for him. But it worked. In a half hour, we were engaged. Do you, Celeste Breton, take this man to be your lawful wedded husband? I do. And do you, Paul Blanchard, take this woman to be your Not lawful Not one of the Paris blue bloods who crowded into the church suspected that the headquarters colonel wasn't really a minister. And I guess I was the only one who wished he were. After the ceremony, Celeste and I drove out to the chateau and settled down to... <laughs> housekeeping. Yes? Who is he? Your husband. Well, what is it you want, Lieutenant? Well, I just got back from the USO. I announced our first open house for Saturday. Looks like we're going to have quite a mob. We should be ready for them. You don't mind my stepping in. We can talk about it. But uh, we just did talk about it. No? <laughs> yeah, I... Uh, yes, I, I guess we did. Then good night, Lieutenant. And that was married life at the Chateau Breton. It's a good thing our series of parties did start then. Took my mind off <laughs> other things. It looked like every Joe in the European theater attended those parties. 
The champagne flowed, the canapes vanished. Each clam bake was a bigger success than the one before it. Except I didn't spot any Nazi agents. Yes, there were plenty of rumors, sure. That's one thing an army always has plenty of. I tell ya, I, I hear we're getting our brains beat out at Bestone. This man's war ain't over yet, pal. The guy was telling me the other day how the brass snafu things at Cambrai. Like a guy was saying the other day, if uh, Hitler wants to negotiate, well, let's negotiate and get it over with so we can go home. I heard Hitler's got a secret weapon. Bacteriological stuff. He's just waiting for the right time to use it. If I'd arrested every guy I heard repeating a rumor, I'd have had half the G.I.s in Paris in the clink. The guy I was looking for was a guy who did all the talking the other day. I knew he was one of the guys lounging in the living room or sprawled on the patio or loafing in the gardens. Yes, but which one? For several days, I didn't get anywhere. And then I noticed Corporal Alan Chester. I might never have paid any attention to him if he hadn't paid so much attention to Celeste. Every time I looked up, they had their heads together and Celeste was smiling. And the time I found them sitting on a bench in the garden, she was actually laughing. Oh, hello, Paul. Well, if it was a good story, you're going to have to tell it again, Corporal. Uh, it was a very good story. Uh, you have met my husband, haven't you, Alan? Uh, this is Corporal Chester, Paul. We've met so many times, it's getting embarrassing. <laughs> I've already apologized to your wife, monsieur, for wearing out my welcome. No apologies necessary. My only excuse is I can't stay away. Your chateau's the first place I felt at ease since I left home. Where is home, Corporal? Lafayette, Indiana. Lafayette? Well, an American town with a great French name. That's right. <laughs> Maybe that's why I feel like I found a second home right here. 20 kilometers from Paris. It wasn't much to go on. Just a word that didn't ring quite true. I took Celeste aside and asked her about it. Alan Chester? You think he might be... Oh, you are a fool, Lieutenant. Maybe. But I still want to know why he said kilometers. In Indiana, they say miles. Perhaps if I told you he was a Harvard graduate. They say miles at Harvard, too. Only Europeans say kilometers. Yes, sir. And because of that, you suspect him of being a Nazi agent. <laughs> Absurd. He is the most charming of all the men who have come here. I noticed you thought so. Did you, Lieutenant? Then maybe that is the reason you suspect him. I admitted she might have something there. I admitted it to myself, that is. Not to Celeste. An hour later, a jeep with four G.I.s in it rolled through the gates of the chateau, and one of the G.I.s was Corporal Alan Chester. And 30 seconds later, I was behind the wheel of Celeste's little Jaguar, following the jeep. Dust was falling, and the road to Paris was lined with traffic, and it wasn't too hard to keep a few cars behind the jeep, seeing without being seen. In town, the jeep pulled up in front of a cafe on the Boulevard Saint-Germain, and Corporal Chester climbed out and waved goodbye to the other three. You bosses, 
Luckily, it was a gloomy joint. He walked straight across the dance floor. I hugged the walls and moved in the same direction. He didn't stop at the bar. He, he didn't sit down at a table. He headed straight for a back door. He opened it and he went out. I gave him 10 seconds. Then I went out the back door too. It was an alley and as dark as only a Paris alley can be. So dark, I thought there was only one guy leaning against the building. Pardon, monsieur. Est-ce que vous avez un cigarette? I dug into my pocket for a cigarette. That's when I knew that there were two guys. I whirled around. The second one was standing behind me, and there was something in his hand that looked like a blackjack. My fist shot out quick and connected. But number one was on me then with a hole that I hurt. I, I broke away, and I let him have it. And that's when I found out what it was the other man held that looked like a blackjack. It was a blackjack. I hit the cobblestones. For a moment, I saw number two standing over me and heard a girl singing far away. And I didn't see or hear anything more for a long time. It was dawn when I climbed up to the third floor of the chateau. If Celeste was sleeping, she woke up plenty fast. And if she had to get into that shimmery house coat she wore, she must have done it in record time. Lieutenant! Oh, my Dieu, you look terrible. I didn't tell her that she looked wonderful. I didn't ask her if I could come in either. I just walked past her and I sat down on the van. I told her what had happened in the alley off the Boulevard Saint Germain. But all the time I talked, I was thinking of something else. That we were alone. That she was very beautiful. Uh, and so now, of course, you are quite certain that Corporal Chester is a German agent. Well, that's how it adds up, doesn't it? Perhaps I am not so good at figures. These men may have been thieves. They took your money, n'est-ce pas? Well, that doesn't prove anything. <laughs> Well, that could have been a cover-up. But why would Corporal Chester have wanted you uh, beaten up? Well, it stopped me from tailing him. Now, that cafe may be a regular hangout, and, and his boys may hang around outside to take care of any shadows who show up. Oh. Then you think he did not know you were following him tonight, huh? Well, his boys may have reported that they slugged a guy in the alley, but well, they can't be sure who I was, or well, even that I was tailing him. I see. I look that funny? No, no. I am just thinking what a fool you are, Lieutenant. Strange. I was thinking the same thing myself. What do you mean? A man who has a wife as lovely as you doesn't even kiss her. He is a fool, isn't he? He would be even more of a fool if he tried. Have you forgotten that bargain? A strictly impersonal relationship, you said. I said it when you said you'd be loyal to Paul Blanchard's memory. Then am I not being loyal? I don't know. But the way you smiled at Alan Chester wouldn't suggest you are. Oh. 
You do not like the way I smell at him, huh? I don't like it at all. Uh, then, naturally, you would not wish me to accept this invitation. What invitation? That is why I call you a fool, Lieutenant. You think Ellen hires men to keep anyone from finding out where he is staying. Why, then, is he so careless with me? Why does he invite me to his room? Why, that... Oh, of course, if I went, I could tell you where he is staying. Perhaps I could tell you a great deal more. If he's a Nazi agent, I would surely find it out. Oh, but you do not want me to go. You're to go whether I want it or not. Oh, oh noble you are, Lieutenant. So she kept her date with Corporal Allen Chester, and I paced the rooms of the chateau and waited for her. And suffered. It was dawn when she got back. Well, let's have the report. The uh, personal one, Lieutenant, or the impersonal one? The impersonal one is the only one that concerns me. Maybe. Well, I found out nothing. And I am more certain than ever that there is nothing to find out. Okay. Thank you. Well, maybe you'll try again some other night. Tomorrow night. It is all arranged. I see. And I will give you the personal report too, Lieutenant, even though it does not concern you. I had a lovely time. <laughs> It was the next night when I began to suspect her. I suppose I started even before she came home. I tried to look at things straight, and I asked myself if I were being taken for a ride. She walked in an hour later. You are wasting precious time, Lieutenant. I still think Alan is just what he says he is, an American soldier on detached service in Paris. I have seen his orders. Well, orders can be fake. Ah, oh, c'est ça. Then, if you are still suspicious, I will keep another date with him. Tomorrow night. I decided there'd better be three of us on that date. She told me the name of his hotel, an old and honorable one, in the Rue de Vaux-Girard. I slipped into its musty lobby early the next morning. An old man with bushy brows and a faintly familiar face eyed me as I approached the desk. I told him I was Paul Blanchard, the master of Chateau Breton. If you say you are Paul Blanchard, monsieur, then you are Paul Blanchard. Any reason to suppose I'm not? Me no, monsieur, none at all. Just as there was no reason during the resistance to suppose that you were an OSS agent. <laughs> He'd been in the marquee unit I'd worked with on a mission before D-Day. He was Pierre Salon, a patriot. It was a break, and I knew that I was safe. Safe enough to tell him as much as necessary. It shall be done, Lieutenant. This Corporal Chester is in room 613. Room 612 will be vacant all evening. Here's the key to it, Lieutenant. The door between the two rooms will be unlocked. Unfortunately... The walls are paper thin. Five minutes after Celeste had left that night, I was on the road to Paris. 
At the hotel, I went straight to room 612, let myself in. It was empty, pitch black. There was no sound from 613. Celeste and Corporal Chester had probably gone to a cafe first. It might be a long wait. It was a long wait, and a hot one. The windows were closed, the room was stuffy. I stood there in the blackness and the sweat poured down my face. And the minutes ticked by. Then, at last, the door to 613 opened. I pressed my ear against the wall. Pierre was right about that, Walt. It was paper thin. I thought we'd never get up here, darling, where I can kiss you. I've been wanting to kiss you all evening. The sweat was rolling down my face harder than ever. I don't see how I'm ever going to be able to leave you, Celeste. This is really our last meeting. I'm leaving Paris tomorrow morning. It is very hard to feel. Alain. Yeah? If I were not married, if Paul were not really my husband... What's the use of saying it? He is your husband. But what if I tell you he is not? But if I confess, it is all a sham and mockery. I wasn't sweating anymore. Now I was so cold, I shivered. I don't understand, Celeste. You mean he's only pretending to be your husband? Marie, only pretending. But why? In order to trap you. He is an American, an officer in the OSS. He thinks you are an association. The butt of my revolver was cold, too. My hand squeezed tight around it. Is this true, Celeste? He actually thinks I'm a German? Yes. And I think so, too. I know you are. Celeste. But I don't care. I would not have told you my secret if I did. I love you. How long would you go on loving me if I were an enemy of France? What is France to me? What is any country to any woman? I would love you no matter what you are. All right, Celeste. You're right. I'm a member of the intelligence service of the Third Reich. I twisted the knob, jerked open the door, and stepped into room 613. Lieutenant. Thank you for selling me out, mademoiselle. If you weren't a traitor, I might never have been sure about Corporal Chester. With a lamp on the table, the only light in the room, and it stood behind him. As I spoke, a swift movement of his arm sent it crashing to the floor. Now there was darkness again enveloping all three of us. We all moved. We changed our positions swiftly, silently. None of us could speak without tipping off where we were. Neither Chester nor I could fire for fear of missing. So we circled the room. We waited for our eyes to go accustomed to the dark. And then, he must have thought he saw me. He missed me. The bullet struck something near the door. But the flash of his gun was all I needed. I fired. And then on the third shot... It wasn't until old Pierre Chalon opened the door and light from the hall flooded the room that I saw what the late Corporal Chester's bullet had hit. It was taken Celeste for me. She lay dead where she had dropped. Ah, c'est dommage, Lieutenant. C'est dommage. In this war, even the innocent must die. The innocent? <laughs> she was a traitor, Pierre. No, 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 Lieutenant, She no. deserved to die just as much as that rat over there. But if that is so, then I should not have told her, Lieutenant. I am sorry. You told her what? 
She passed by the desk. I thought she was working with you. You, you, you did not Yes, mention. yes, but what did you say to her? I said, all is well, mademoiselle. What? The lieutenant has arrived. He is in room 612. Good Lord. Then she knew all the time. Then the only possible reason why she would have told him who I was was, was to persuade him to confess who he was. She'd have been crazy to say what she did otherwise, knowing that I was listening. Then she did not betray you. No, Pierre. No, she didn't betray me. Perhaps it was you she loved then, Lieutenant. No, Pierre. It was France you loved. The rest was easy. In Corporal Chester's room, he found a list of names and code. We broke the code before dawn the next morning. And by that night, we had every Nazi agent in GI uniform corralled. And once again, the report of another OSS agent closes with the words, Mission accomplished. Listen again next week to another true adventure from the files of the OSS on Cloak and Dagger. The Old Time Radio Hour will be back next Sunday at 4 o'clock. We hope you can join us here on Sid Valley Radio.